One moment you pray for our time in the Word.
truth today, God, and from this day forth, Lord. The glory belongs to you. It doesn't belong to us, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your mercies are new every morning, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we are reminded that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance, God, that you are our God and we are your people. If we are in Christ. I know how I pray, God, as we open your word today, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That our lives truly would give you the glory, God. God, that we would remain a, a humble people. A people, God, that Father, have fixed our eyes upon you, and God, that you would continue within us to give us a, a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Father, for your name's sake. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word is a lamp unto our, our, unto our feet and a light unto our path, God. Yes. Thank you, Father, that it's your will that none should perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. It's all for you, Lord. Mm -hmm. So may we remember the call of a disciple to, to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, and to follow you. Yes. And you are the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are victorious. That We thank you, Father, that you cried out, It is finished. Yes. And on that third day, you rose again defeating sin and death. Father, we thank you for the hope of your return. We thank you that even now that you are seated at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us. Yes. So we thank you, God, that you are faithful and that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So community, Two definitions I've been holding up. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. So go to Proverbs 27, verse 17. Again, scriptures that I've been holding up throughout the year in hopes to encourage us to keep our eyes on Jesus and to grow into community. Again, I, I can't say it enough. He is the center of our community. Yes. Apart from Him, we are nothing but a lost people. Proverbs 27, verse 17. And we are to be growing we are to be maturing. We know that we are not a perfected people until we are with Christ, but until then we are a maturing people. Bearing the image of Christ to a dying world, to a rebellious creation. 
against the throne of God. God did not, when he delivered us, when he revealed himself to us, didn't take us out of the world. No, no, he kept us in the world to bear his image, to be a freed people, a people that can go forth among the captives and declaring the hope that is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So we look at Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It is vital in community that we are encouraging, that we are edifying, that we are building each other up, that we're just not excusing the sin that, is, that we see, the attitudes that are among us, the disregard for righteousness and holiness, allowing sin to be greater than our Savior. Like we should be encouraging each other to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness. I watched a documentary this week that just disturbed me to the depths of my being. And I said, oh God, help us. And then as we're doing our Friday night study and as we're as, as the last week, and then, and then we even heard it where the preacher is preaching on Friday. That there's many sitting in the church today, all throughout the earth, deceived into thinking that they are children of God. <laughs> and in reality, they're children of the devil. They do a lot of works. <laughs> they're... they're, they're their faith is in what they're able to do. It's not in what Christ accomplished. And the enemy has sown seeds of doubt and confusion. These, the, the false gospels that are all throughout the earth. This is what we as believers are contending with. Not only are we contending with the world and with the lost... But we're contending with those in the church that hold a form of godliness. But they deny his power to transform. And how sad. This documentary was on another Christian minister and his wife. Who has a huge platform. And everything is just crumbled underneath them. They're vile. They are wicked. And the lives that they have influenced all for nothing. All for nothing. Oh, we have to wake up. We have to wake up. How are we living our lives? Maybe we don't have a a huge platform like they did, but but we have a platform each and every day we get up. Each and every day we get up and, and we're among our families, among our friends, among our co-workers, among our neighbors, among this, those out in other communities. How are we living our lives? Who, who is in our lives that is encouraging and edifying, building us up? Who in our lives are, are it's like iron sharpens iron that, that you know 
that you're not going to get away with what you ought not to be getting away with. See, it never shocks me, though, when I see ministries and ministers and or Christians fall and, and crumble. But what does shock me is like they have all these people around them. Did not anyone say anything? Did not anyone see it? And the reality is people saw it and people see it in us. And if you don't have people willing to go toe-to-toe with you, to encourage you, to edify you, to build you up, to hold you accountable, like you're just going to give in to everything and anything that's out there that looks pleasing to your eye or feels good to the touch. Instead of allowing Christ to be Lord. Christian community is vital. We are the body of Christ. Man didn't put this together. No, God purposed it. From the beginning to the end. That God will have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. And the reality is, is that we are, we're called. (laughs) We're called to really evaluate, really, are you saved? (laughs) And what does it mean to be born again? To understand what we've been engrafted in and, and, and then our purpose each and every single day. To live it out. This transformed life. That only Christ can do in one who is surrendered to his authority, to his rule, to his reign. And it's not a forced submission. No, it's a willing dying to self. Not allowing your old insecurities, your old identity, your old wants, your old this, your old that to have any access to the new. You are a new creation. How then now shall you live? You're living for Christ. You're in a Christian community that's honoring Christ. And when Christ isn't honored, someone should stand up and say something is wrong. So what? You can pray. So what? You know Scripture. So what? You spend hours in worship. So what? If you're not honoring Christ, then what do you really have but a form of religion that you have bought into that is really not faith at all in the one true God? Oh, we have to wake up. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 verse 20. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Christ is among us. When we gather, Christ is among us. We come for Christ. We don't come for any other reason. We come for Christ and Christ alone. 
and you've heard me over the years say, when you, when you got up this morning, were you excited in the fact that you were gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ and that Christ is going to be among us? Did we come to, to worship Jesus? Did we come to intercede for others and, and to lift up these requests to the ultimate intercessor, to the one and true God that can move and bring forth deliverance, healing, provision, strength, and endurance. Like He calls us to pray. And so when we come together, like we're coming for Christ, like He is among us, and He is our focus, we're to fix our eyes on Him. We need to hear from Jesus today. We need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, encouraged to go forth into a world again that is growing darker and darker and darker by the day. But we're to be growing brighter and brighter and brighter. Not just so we can just hang out with each other, so that when we go out into the other communities, We're making an impact for the kingdom of God. Are you kingdom-minded? Because if you're not kingdom-minded, then you're not a Christian. You may hold the name, but you don't have the power. And just because you may hold the name does not mean you're known by Christ. And that is the reality. I mean, when you talk to other people who, are, who call themselves Christians, there's so many people who say, well, yes, I'm a Christian. But they're only Christian by name. They're not a follower of Christ. They're still holding on to the temporalness of this world. They're still holding on to traditions and celebrations of this earth. They're still holding on to forms of religion. And Christ isn't glorified. And yet they want to claim to be His his children. And in reality, they're not. Oh, we have to wake up. It is a desperate time. It's a desperate hour. Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. And He's coming back to collect those who belong to Him. Not those with a divided heart. Not those with one foot in and one foot out. Not those who are clinging to all the traditions and and, and all of this of the earth. But those who have truly surrendered. Not perfect people, but a surrendered people. A humble people. A maturing people. You see, I'm not demanding my rights. You ever talk to someone who calls himself a Christian? Really hold them accountable? Are you really doing that? That's not honoring Christ. Are you really speaking this way? Are you really giving yourself to that? Are you really just entertaining all of this? Oh, come on, don't be so religious. 
Don't be so holy like now you got it all together. Oh, it doesn't matter. What's the harm in it? And not just hear from others, but hear yourself. Do you give yourself the right to keep doing that which Christ came to set people free from? You see, I've said over the years, we can't keep trampling on his blood and making it common and thinking somehow it's okay. Somehow God's okay with this little bit. When he's not. But I like it, but I enjoy it. It doesn't hurt. It's not hurting anyone. It's not harm. But it is. That's the reality. And as we've been studying in the Old Testament, they wouldn't let go of the little things. There, there may have been times where they tore down the big things, but it's the little things they were like, no, why do we have to get rid of this? We still want to worship this way. It's still okay. And it's not. How then now shall you live? As one who has died and has been born again. You are a new creation. If you're born, if you're truly, truly, truly born again, you see, I'm not impressed with your prayers. I'm not impressed with how you worship. I'm not impressed that you know from Genesis to Revelation and you memorized it all. I'm not impressed that you hold a form of, 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 of Sabbath. I'm not impressed of, of, of your form of, of religion, of, well, I don't wear jewelry. I'm not impressed with all of this stuff that people have relied on. I'm not impressed that you said a little prayer. Give me Jesus. That's all we need. Jesus. Who is he to us? Who is he to you? Because as you see him is how you'll live. And if he's just a weak-willed, flamboyant, flimsy God... Good is he? But you understand who the real Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible, who he really is. And all that he endured for you, for me. Like he's coming. Awake, awake, oh sleeper. He's coming. Awake, awake, oh sleeper. He's coming, and when he comes, there's no time to make it right. It's over. And as we heard on Friday night, and as we've heard multiple times through Scripture, and I've shared it over and over, there will be those who will stand before him and say, But Lord... Didn't I do? He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And like for eternity, for eternity, never ending, ongoing, 
over and over and over and over and over. A place of torment for eternity. People will have Jesus on their lips. He was never in their hearts. He was not Lord of their lives. And we're out there peddling this false gospel. We hear it. We, it makes us feel good for ourselves. And it's okay because what's the big deal? It's okay to do this. It's okay to shuck and jive with the rest of them. It's okay just to do. But who says it's okay? And then you say, well, I don't want to live for, I don't want to live, I don't want to serve a God like that then. If he's demanding so much, but he's not demanding so much. He gave so much. He gave himself. Like he knows what we're up against. He knows the condition that we're in. We're in complete rebellion. That's why I've said, have you seen yourself an enemy to his throne? Because if you haven't seen that, you're not saved. If you haven't really recognized that, oh, God. You say, oh, but I'm a good person. I'm this and I'm that. But no, you're not. You see, we're all born into sin. He knows this condition. And he gave himself for us. He has set a standard in which we are to live. And it's not a burden. Oh, it's liberating. It's liberating. I don't want that filth. Why? I don't want to demand my right to keep doing this and to keep doing that. Oh, Jesus, you have delivered me. See, you have to have confidence in the power of Christ and what he has accomplished. Either he's a liar, a lunatic, or he's God. And I choose to believe he's God. I choose to believe that God so loved me that he sent his one and only son for me. If I believe in him, that I will not perish, but I will have eternal life. And knowing that, I, the grip I had on all of this stuff that was behind me, it's loosened. Like, why? And you said, but I'm not, but how do we live in this world for Christ? How did Christ live in this world? He's our example. And the Bible says that we're to live as if he lived on this earth. He gave of himself. He gave of himself. He served others. He loved them right where they were. He didn't go along with it and join in with them. But he gave himself for them. And how did he deal with the religious people? Sternly. He called them out. You're making them twice as much the son of hell as you are. Your father's the devil. But the broken, the meek, the wounded, he showed compassion. He showed compassion. Do you want to be healed? And stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
Do you know your God? Like the scripture we just read, we just read. For when two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus is among us. I don't have to put on the show. We don't need the flashing lights. We don't need all the hoopla and everything else just to work people up. No. We're just excited to know that when we come together, Jesus is among us. He wants to heal us. He, He wants to minister to us. He wants to grow us, mature us. His loving kindness leads us to repentance. You shouldn't have been there this week. You shouldn't have acted like that an hour ago. Where's your thoughts been? And so many times we, 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 we think that idols are just these, these carved images. And well, I don't have any idols in my life. No, you do. Your insecurity is your idol. <laughs> your emptiness is your idol. Whatever you're giving yourself to each and every single day is your idol. And you ought not to be giving yourself to any of that. You have to give yourself to Jesus every single day throughout the day. You have the Holy Spirit. If you truly are born again, you have the Holy Spirit, God, in you to equip you, to give you, remember the scriptures, See, hopefully the word's not falling on deaf ears. Hopefully the word is falling on, on, on good soil. Because we, we've, we've read before, it is him who, God, who gives us the desire and the power to live a godly life. And you're trying to work for it. <laughs> and that's Religion. That's religion. See, you you once were, but now you are. If if you did this, now do this. There's a way in which we're called to live. And as I told you when I was watching that documentary, Lord, I wanted just to shut it off, but I was just so like moved. I kept going, I never wept so hard. It has disturbed me all week to the depths of my being, to pray for Christians. Because I go, God, what are we doing? And again, it's not about having a big platform. It's just our own individual life. How are we living in front of others? I don't want to deny you Christ just to fit in. I'm not deny you just to, to hang on to customs and celebrations and things of this earth. I don't want to deny you. My God, I just want to live for you. And I know, I know that you said already that it's, it's going to cost me everything. That's what I tell people. If you don't want to follow Jesus, they don't follow Jesus. It's okay. You have every right Go enjoy your life. That's all you've got. You say, well, that's not what I I believe. Well, that's okay. Your disbelief is not going to thwart what God is doing. How can you be so sure? Just look around you. (laughs) Look around. 
I mean, people have a right to live however they want. But Christians, if you're truly a Christian, live for Christ. And if you're not, if you're just by name, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Still come to church, keep hearing the word, and I pray it pierces your heart and it brings you to your knees. <laughs> but you can't, you got to stop calling yourself a Christian. You got to stop telling people that you, you're a Christian. When you know depths in the depths of your being and the reality, if you stood in front of the mirror and you looked at your life, no, I am not honoring Christ. He is not my all in all. I don't even know what it means to be born again. There is such rebellion within me. And you say, well, aren't Christians going to sin? Yes. But the sin is not mastering them. When, when a Christian sins, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is quick and they repent. They repent. They turn from. They don't keep going along. And then it becomes their lifestyle. And that's why you hear all through Scripture in the New Testament. If you continue to live this way, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Ha ha. You believe your own lies. You believe the lie of the enemy. And the reality, reality is the door is closed. <laughs> because again, the standard is to live like Jesus lived. It's not man. That's God's word. And that's the standard we hold each other to. Is it hard? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. Are you going to be hated? Yes. <laughs> But his kingdom's advancing. His kingdom is advancing. This is what we're a part of. This is what we've been engrafted into. His kingdom. We must be kingdom-minded people. We must grow. We must mature. We must seek. And we shall find if we seek him with our whole heart. That Christ is with us. He is among us to accomplish his will, his purpose. Go to John 15. Nope, Romans 1. All right, let's go to Romans. Romans 1. Verse 11 through 12. Paul says, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Again, scriptures we've heard already before throughout this year, multiple times. Paul is looking to encourage the church, but he's also looking to be encouraged by them. John 15. Verse 12 through 13. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. This is Jesus' words. That we are to love each other as He has loved us. That we're to think of others before we think of ourselves. We're coming together. To worship Jesus. Jesus is among us, and yet we're distracted every which way. We do our own thing. Come and go as we please. Here today, not there tomorrow. 
And we're give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, do for me, do for me, do for me, do for me. And that's not the community of believers. Like it's all for Him. It's like that last song, the last worship song. We're to give Him the glory. Our lives are spent now on Christ. On Christ. I remember when I came, when the Lord revealed Himself, and oh, Jesus, you're real. Oh, God, you're real. But yet, God, what I see out there, God, it can't be you. It's like a mockery being made of you. Where's truth at? Where's where's the standard at? I don't I didn't need someone tapping me or patting me on my back saying it's okay, you know, just keep doing, just keep living, just whatever. No, I like I just want Jesus. Like, do you just want Jesus? Because when you take your eyes off Jesus, you're only gonna look back on the temporalness of this life to fill the, the void. Each of us, before Christ, are yoked to so much. (laughs) But we're called to lay it down. To turn from it. To repent. True repentance. Turning away from. Genuine repentance. Not just, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, do we understand the presence of Jesus? Being in His presence. Honoring his presence. I saw this woman in Walmart yesterday. She had seven teenage girls with her. All different races. All dressed the same. Walking in a line. begin to pray for them. God, set them free. Set them free from this weird religion that I'm sure claims your name. Their dress isn't going to save them. Everything that they're putting their hope and their faith in isn't going to save them. need you, Jesus. They need you. I'm just so broken for them. They're trying to be good. They're trying to look right. They're trying, they're trying, they're trying, they're trying, and they've heard it over and over and over and over, I'm sure. And yet the message that should set them free is now a message that keeps them in bondage. And you say, well, how can you say that? Because they had no joy. I wanted to rescue all of them. Mm -hmm. But I'm not Jesus. 
the ultimate rescuer, the, the liberator, who can come and set people free. If there's people who, who hold on of a prayer, there's people that hold on to, to religious works and duties. They, they hold on to Sabbath days. They hold on to this or they hold on to that. And, and they say, look, look, I'm dressing the part. I look the part. Look how good I'm doing. But inside, there hasn't been a change. They haven't been born again. You know, when you're born again, the law, the law doesn't enslave you to sin. Think about that. When you're truly born again, the law doesn't enslave you to sin. It delivers you into righteousness. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't come to do away with it. He came to fulfill it. So I don't need the law. I need Jesus. And whenever the law is present, that's what the Bible says. It puts the veil over your eyes. Mm. (laughs) That's why in Christ you are liberated to live a new life. A freed life. A life in community with other people who have been set free. All for the glory of God, not people demanding their rights. So then now, how then shall we live as Christ has commanded us? Be holy. Set apart. Be pure in all your ways. You're You're not to look like the rest of them. But it's liberating. You can go out amongst the wicked and perverse and remain upright. You're not going to be crooked. You're going to live in such a way now that you have such confidence, not in and of yourself, but in the one who's called you out. That you can go forth and tell other captives there is freedom. There is a way in which you can live. That doesn't enslave you to the law. Which binds you. There's a way to be in Christ. The one who fulfilled the law. So that you may truly live. I want to share with you as we're going through our Friday night study. Behold your God. We're learning so much. And I don't want us to miss out what we're learning. For those who aren't here on Friday nights, I don't want you to miss out from learning. You see, when we come to church, it's not about us. Hurry up, hurry this along, hurry this along, hurry this along. <laughs> no, no, you should come hungry. I need to learn more of Jesus. I need to know him. And so I'm going to start discussing with you some definitions of major theological terms that you as a believer should know. And so today we're going to look at the word adoption. Here's the definition. Adoption describes the new relationship the believer has to God. By using a family-related term, God, by the new birth, 
and justification makes the believer his adopted child. And don't miss out on continually hearing new birth. You know, when you open up the the New Testament and you keep hearing new creation, new birth, born again, do you really understand that? What does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean uh, to, to be known as a child of God? You see, God becomes his father and Jesus his brother. The believer enters into all the responsibilities and joys of being in God's family. Like you are adopted, you are engrafted, you have been given the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. So as I was studying these terms throughout this week, I said, Lord, we, we got to really, I want to lay out some understanding because there's cults that use Jesus being our brother in the wrong way. So as a Christian, I want to, and you're going to have these notes. Carrie's going to send them out. Hopefully you can join Wednesdays if you can't. Hopefully you're sitting down with the notes and you're just not one time sitting here taking it all in and not doing anything with the information that you're receiving and asking the Holy Spirit to, to, to walk you in truth. Because it's the truth that will set you free. So is Jesus our brother? Well, the Bible clearly presents Jesus Christ as being one with the Father. And the scripture is all through here. A member of the triune Godhead who set aside his rights as God and took on human flesh to dwell among us. Therefore, it is right to call him Savior and Lord. However, a few passages also refers to Jesus as our brother. Hebrews 2.11, Romans 8.29, Mark 3.34. In order to fully understand the concept of Jesus as our brother, let's look more closely at each of the passages. Hebrews 2.11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he did he that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The word translated brothers is the word used for blood relatives. But it also refers to Christians. The generic term brother is scripture usually also includes sisters. In this passage, the writer of Hebrews is explaining how the perfect God-man, Jesus, could call imperfect humans his brothers and sisters. This is more easily understood, understood in terms of physical relationships. Jesus explains spiritual realities by telling Nicodemus that he must be born again. He used the physical term because we all understand birth. When two babies have shared the same womb or the same father, they are of the same family. They carry similar DNA, inherited traits, and rights to claim parentage. When a human being is born into the family of God through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God becomes our father. This happens through an act of the Holy Spirit who moves into our spirits and begins to change us. God is also the Father of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we share in that relationship as adopted children. Jesus, our brother, purchased with his blood the right for us to call him Father, our Father. He is not ashamed to call his brothers because his righteousness is imputed to us, making us blameless as he is blameless. 
Where Romans 8.29 says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Some cults have misinterpreted this verse to mean that Jesus was only the first of God's many adopted children. However, in the Bible, the word firstborn does not always refer to physical or even spiritual birth. Rather, being firstborn implies preeminence and position as it is used in Psalm 89 verse 27, which reads, I will point him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. In Jeremiah 31, 9, God calls the nation of Israel his firstborn son. So when Paul uses the term firstborn in Romans 8, 29, he means that Jesus holds the preeminent position of only begotten son of God. And that through his obedience to the Father, Christ made it possible for his Holy Father to adopt unholy human beings as his own children. The resurrection of Christ was the first of many to follow as God gathers his children home. In Mark 3, 34, verse 35, Jesus declares that those who follow him are his brothers. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother." Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The setting for this statement is a house where Jesus was teaching. His physical family had begun to worry about him. And they had come to take him home with them. As they waited outside the packed house, the messengers informed Jesus of their presence. Seated around Jesus were the disciples. His statement told everyone that. While earthly relationships are important, Spiritual relationships are those that last forever. From then on, he would be focused upon establishing those eternal relationships with everyone who trusted in him. It is important to note that the qualifier for being considered Jesus's brother or sister is not the mental exercise of believing. Since many in the room with Jesus in Mark 3 would have considered themselves believers in him. <laughs> The qualifier for being a brother or sister of Christ is doing the will of the Father. The ultimate will of the Father is what we love, trust and obey His Son. When we believe in our hearts the gospel of Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to His Lordship, God adopts us into His family and considers us joint heirs with His Son, Jesus. Our Heavenly Father wants His children to bear a family resemblance And he gave us the perfect example in our big brother, Jesus Christ. And that comes from gotquestions.org. The beauty of adoption. The beauty of being engrafted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Like, come on. God, I pray for all of us that we would just press in and go deeper and not live on this, this, in this way that is so contrary to truth. That we would continue to be enslaved. That we just won't be happy that people, quote unquote, are going to church. No, but that we would truly see them living for Christ. A new creation, whole in Christ. Go to Galatians 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, 
Galatians 4, verse 4. Again, we did an exercise in our study last week leading up to Friday that again, I want to present these scriptures to us. These are scriptures that summarize what God must do for a sinner to make him or her a Christian. And so we're just going to take a few over the next few weeks and look at them again. Or maybe it's your first time seeing it. But Galatians 4.4 4, But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Remember, from the beginning, even before the earth was formed, the cross was purpose. When Adam and Eve sinned, God covered them, and God announced to the enemy that there would come one who will crush your head. All through the Old Testament, we see Jesus, the promised Messiah, Everything's pointing to him. And I really love this scripture. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. He came in flesh. It was an appointed time. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14 and 16. Oh, that you would take these scriptures back and meditate upon these truths. Because God's children are born human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying, oh God, hear this, could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Listen, this is our God. This is the one in whom we said we gather today to worship. It's the Lord's day. We're in his presence. And do we hear what he accomplished for us? Do we see him truly for who he is? And not what man has created him to be. Not what the enemy has deceived people in. But truly see Jesus for who he is. And why he came, what he accomplished, and now what is his purpose? Go to Romans 5. Verse 18. Romans 5, verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and, oh God, and new life for everyone. A new life for everyone. So I love Romans 5.1. Now therefore you are at peace with God 
through Jesus Christ, your Lord. We're not bound by fear. Fear may try to creep in, but our faith should be strong enough to be able to stand and stand therefore then after we've done all we know to do and no matter what the circumstance or situation is. Like, listen, y'all, there is a way in which we are called to live. And the good news, this is the good news, this is what we have to bring to people. Again, we love them enough to tell them. We don't force them, we don't demand them, we don't lay the law upon them. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. We share the gospel. Apart from Christ, you are a sinner. You are in rebellion towards God's throne. But God, so gracious, so kind, so loving. He draws us to repentance. He's pleased to reveal himself to us, to deliver us from all that we've been. And bring us in to all that he has planned for us. Don't forget, it is God who purposed your life. And he's created good works for you to do. Even before the earth was formed. And you're not fulfilling those good works as long as you're demanding your rights to this old way of living. That which was bound to condemnation, to death, to wrath. Like Jesus, you all. Oh, that we would be awakened to truth. We're going to take communion. And I love what we learned from the Heidelberg Catechism about communion a few weeks ago. Because I wanted to remind us as we prepare our hearts for communion. From the catechism we learn, who should come to the Lord's table? And here's the answer. Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering of the death of Christ and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. But hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, if they do take communion, they only eat and drink judgment upon themselves. So that's why I always want like, to give us time, the opportunity, before we take the elements for you to search your heart. Are you repentant? Do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? Have you humbled yourself? Have you received from Christ? Because why do we take communion? We do it in remembrance of Him. And what He's done for us. And through His broken body and the shed blood. And through the resurrection. Sin and death have been defeated. And now we can live a full life. A new life in Christ. So we take it and we do it in remembrance of Jesus. So I'm going to allow this song to be played over us. And, and I, I pray that you'll just take the time even now to allow the Holy Spirit to, to minister to you. And that if there's unconfessed sin, 
in your life that you would repent. That you would ask the Lord to give you the strength that is needed to continue to pursue Him. That you don't want to be bound to a life of religion. You want to be bound to Christ, the author of life, the one who has come to deliver us from ourselves and to save us from His wrath. So, about the song to encourage you, and then I'll pass out the elements. Taste now and see.
God, would you pray over the bread? Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the gift of your son. I thank you for his broken body. I thank you for the sacrifice that he made for us, Lord. Thank you for loving us and sending him to take the punishment that we could not bear, Lord God. We just thank you, Lord, and we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Take the bread. you pray over the cup we are called to be in communion with you lord to abide in your presence we take this as a symbol of the blood sacrifice of jesus on the cross but we thank you god that it didn't stop there there was the power of the resurrection and through the power of the resurrection we can spend eternal life with you your word says that there is no sin in heaven and there must be a blood payment. So we take this as a remembrance of the blood payment for our sin, and that we would go and we would sin no more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Heidelberg Catechism. We are now in part three of it, and the title of part three is Gratitude. Lord's Day 32. Two questions for us today. First question, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Here's the answer. Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit and to his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, so that he may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that our godly living, I'm sorry, so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. The next question. Can those be saved who do not turn to God? I'm sorry, can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepented ways. By no means, they can't. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no coveted person, no drunkard, slandered, robber, or like that, or the like, will inherit the kingdom of God. Two questions proposed to us. To be able to learn how to answer, to be able how to defend the faith, this is why we're utilizing this tool. Again, there's a lot there, but oh, how I pray that you're taking these questions, you're taking the answers, you're looking up the scriptures, you're praying through them, you're meditating upon them, and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to grow you. Go to 2 Kings is where we're heading. We're going to walk through our final portion of scripture today. 2 Kings. And man, I sure hope y'all are reading 2 Kings and you're staying on track with us. I send the scriptures out each week on Monday for y'all to have, to hope, to encourage you to get in there and read them ahead of time. 
Be prayerful about the time that you're reading through them. If you haven't begun that discipline, that you would begin that discipline. There's so much in 2 Kings for us to learn about our God. How gracious, how kind, how slow to anger that He is. Remember, I keep telling you, you can't let the devil, you can't let the world system, and you can't let your own flesh teach you theology. It can't teach you, we can't allow those forces to teach us about God because what they will teach us isn't true. It'll keep us further away. People hear truth, and what's the first thing people do when they hear truth? They resist it. They focus on themselves. Oh, how bad I am. I can never do right. How could God love me? Oh, I can't be like those Christians. And all of a sudden, we have all these things that we are pronouncing over our lives that keeps us from the fullness of God, the one who has come to deliver us unto righteousness and to the newness of life. God set these people aside for himself. Remember, God's plan and purpose. Oh, all of you should know this by now. To have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. He set them aside for himself, ultimately to bring the Messiah. At that appointed time, the Messiah would come. But until then, God is working through this people that he has again set aside for himself. And he's told them, don't worship any other God but me. I am your God. Here's how to worship me. Don't look at the other nations around you. Don't worship like they worship their gods. Don't give yourself over to what they give themselves over to. You are my people. And I was thinking this week, (coughs) as I keep thinking through as I'm reading through the Old Testament, (coughs) and we're told in the New Testament that we need to know the Old Testament, Because it's a warning for us. It's a warning for us. If we see how God dealt with these people, do you honestly think that you can keep living a loose life, slapping Jesus on your forehead, and think that you are not going to feel his wrath? He is a holy God. That hasn't changed. He is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. But he's a God that is just. And the anger of God, the Bible says, is soon to be released because of sin. And the church ought not to be taking part of what God is against. He is a holy God. He delivered these people out of bondage, out of Egypt, And remember, they grow tired, they grow weary. What'd you bring us out here, just to die? And as soon as they get frustrated with Moses and with God, they say, we'll take matters into our own hands. We'll create a God. And then they had the audacity to point at this golden calf and said, this is a God who led us out of Egypt. And we all could be like, wow, that's crazy, but we're no different. Oh, how I pray you didn't go serve another God this week, but the reality is, have you? And you can say, well, I don't have an idol in front of me. Oh, but like I said earlier, you have your insecurities. 
You have your past. You have whatever is ruling you. And if you don't have the true God and Lord over your life, you're being ruled by something else. And it's time to tear down those walls. It's time to rid our lives from that which is keeping us in bondage. And know the true God. He has revealed himself over and over and over and over again. We even saw last week in scripture, that wicked king ended up praying. And did you miss out? Did you go this week? And was that the reality? Did it even hit you? When you say, wow, that guy was really wicked. But in his moment of desperation, he called out. And do you remember what scripture said? Did anyone take a walk away with it last week? I'm sorry? Yep. And But I love how scripture worded it. God heard his prayer. And if that doesn't make you... So you're not too far gone. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, or what you gave yourself over to this week. But you just call upon him with a sincere heart. Like he's God, you all. He knows the hearts. He knows our hearts. These kings, some wicked, some, you know... Somewhat righteous, pleasing God, but yet they don't clear out everything. They keep leading these people astray. And then again, the people aren't standing up. The people are actually just giving in. But they're responsible. Like you're responsible for your own actions. And for what you're allowing to lord over you. But oh, how I pray that as we go through these scriptures, that you're seeing uh, God for who he is. And that it'll shatter the strongholds, the deceptive ideals that you have about God that keeps you from him. Because even through all of this, he's calling the people to himself. So now we have chapter 15. We're going to read through 16. Uzziah, son of Amaziah, began to rule over Judah in the 27th year of the reign of King Jeroboam, the second of Israel. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. And look at verse 3. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. But, but, he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burnt incense there. The Lord struck the king with leprosy, which lasted until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house. The king's son, Jotham, who was put in charge of the royal palace, and he governed the people of the land. And we're going to read as we move into Chronicles why he got leprosy. He wanted to be the priest. He pushed the priest out of the way. He didn't want to follow the order in which God has structured so he was struck down with leprosy. Then it goes on, the rest of the events in Uzziah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. When Uzziah died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David 
and his son Jotham became the next king. Zechariah, son of Jeroboam, the second began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Uzziah's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria six months. Zechariah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, as his ancestors have done. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nabat, had led Israel to commit. Then Shalom, son of Jabesh, conspired against him. Zechariah, I'm sorry, against Zechariah, assassinated him in public and became the next king. The rest of the events of Zechariah's reign are recorded in the book of the history of the king of Israel's. So the Lord's message to Jehu came true. And highlight that, circle that. Your descendants will be kings of Israel down to the fourth generation. And you're like, well, why should I highlight that or remember that? Because God honors his word. God spoke it and it has come to pass. And we see that time and time and time again. Verse 11, the rest of the events in Zechariah's reign are recorded in the book of the history of the king of Israel. So the Lord's message, which I just read, I'll read it again. To Jehu came true, your descendants will be kings of Israel down to the fourth generation. And Shalom, son of Jabash, began to rule over Israel in his 39th year of King Uzziah's reign in Judah. Shalom reigned in Samaria only one month. Then Menahem, son of Gadai, went to Samaria from Tirzah and assassinated him, and he became the next king. The rest of the events of Shalom's reigns, including his conspiracy, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. At that time, Menahem destroyed the town of Tobol and all the surrounding countryside as far as Tirzah, because its citizens refused to surrender to the town. He killed the entire population and ripped open the pregnant woman. <laughs> My Jesus, help us, Lord. These are God's people acting a fool. <laughs> Menahem, son of Gadai, began to rule over Israel in the 39th year of King Uzziah's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 10 years, but Menahem did what was evil in the Lord's sight during his entire reign. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nabat, had led Israel to commit. And do, you, do you hear the theme? They are refusing to turn from their sins. And we can say, oh, what bad, wicked people they are. Well, what can be said about us? Are we refusing to turn from our sins? I mean, just let that sit there for a moment. What do we keep giving ourselves the right to? What do we keep making excuses for? Just to hold on. We ought to be turning from. Nothing good can come from it. Verse 19, the king Tiglath, Pileser of Assyria, invaded the land. But Nanahem paid him 37 tons of silver to gain his support in tightening his grip on the royal power. Manahem extorted the money from the rich of Israel, demanding that each of them pay 50 pieces of silver to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned from attacking Israel and did not stay in the land. The rest of the events of Manahem's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the king of Israel. 
When Menahem died, his son Pekah became the next king. And do you see that Menahem being God's king over God's people didn't depend on God to deliver him from this king of Assyria. He instead depended on what he could do to manipulate the situation so that his grip will be tightened just to have power. And these are God's people, you all. These are God's people who have seen God move in miraculous ways, who have been informed over and over and over and over again of all that he's done for them. And yet, and yet, they will not turn to him. They will not turn to him. They will not turn from their sins and turn to God. So Pekah, son of Menahem, began to rule over Israel in the 15-year King Uzziah's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria two years, but Pekah did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. Then Pekah, son of Remaliah, the commander of Pekah's armies, conspired against him. With 50 men from Gilead, Pekah assassinated the king, along with Argod and Ari in the citadel of the palace of Samaria, and Pekah reigned in his place. The rest of these events of Pekah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the king of Israel. So then Pekah, son of Remaliah, began to rule over Israel in the 52nd year of King Uzziah's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 20 years, but Pekah did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. During Pekah's reign, King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria attacked Israel again, and he captured the towns of Ijon, abel beth Makkah, Genoa, Kadesh, and Hazor. He also conquered the regions of Gilead, Galilee, and all the Naphtali, and he took the people to Assyria as captives. God's people are now being enslaved yet again. <laughs> then Hosea, son of Elah, conspired against Pekah and assassinated him. He began to rule over Israel in the 27th year, or in the 20th year, of Jotham, son of Uzziah. The rest of the events of Pekah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Jotham, son of Uzziah, began to rule over Judah in the second year of King Pekah's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother was Jeshua, the daughter of Zadok. Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did everything his father, Uzziah, had done. But he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. He rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. The rest of the events of Jotham's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. In those days, the Lord began to send King Razan of Aram and King Pekah of Israel to attack Judah. When Jotham died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and his son Ahaz became the next king. And you're like, well, it's just a lot of reading. What's the point of it? Hopefully you see the point. These are God's people who again keep refusing to turn to the living God. Again, what can be said about us today? Claiming God, yet not living 
for God. Ahaz, son of Jotham, began to rule over Judah in the 17th year of King Pekah's reign in Israel. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the examples, the example of kings of Israel, listen to this, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. Jesus. He offered sacrifice and burnt incenses at the pagan shrines and on the hills and upon under every green tree. Oh, God, help us. God's people. The priests were there. The temple was there. Everything was needed to keep them in right with God. God was still among them. And yet they keep refusing him. Now they're doing things they ought not to really be doing. And it is no difference today. You look at the quote-unquote Christian church and what everything that's being allowed in. And everything that is being allowed in is detestable to the Lord. Where's God's people? Where's the holy people of God? People who are set apart for the purpose of God. Oh, that we would raise up, rise up in this hour and in the days leading up to the return of the Lord to be about our Father's business because this is no different. Detestable things are being allowed in and the church is getting comfortable with it. But oh, how I pray the true people of God will begin to rise up and begin to push back. Then King Razan of Aram and King Pekah of Israel came up to attack Jerusalem. They besieged Ahaz but could not conquer him. At that time, the king of Edom recovered the town of Elath from Edom. He drove out the people of Judah and sent Edomites to live there as as they do to this day. King Ahaz sent messengers to King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria with this message. I am your servant. Listen to what this king of Israel is saying to this other king. Instead of turning to God, he turns to another. I am your servant and your vassal. Come up and rescue me from the attacking armies of Aram and Israel. Then King Ahaz, oh God, listen to this, you all, took the silver and gold from the temple of the Lord and the palace treasury and sent it as payment to the Assyria king. So the king of Assyria attacked the Aramean capital of Damascus and led its population away as captives, resettling in Kerr. He also killed King Razan. King Ahaz then went to Damascus to meet with King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. While he was there, look at this, he took special note of the altar. Then he sent a model of the altar to Uriah the priest, along with its design in full detail. Uriah followed the king's instructions and built an altar just like it. And it was ready before the king returned from Damascus. 
When the king returned, he inspected the altar and made offerings on it. And you don't think God is slow to anger. You don't think God is full of compassion and mercy. He presented, now listen to what he does here. The worship that God instituted for his people, this king now is doing these, what they were called to do for God on this pagan altar. He presented a burnt offering and a grain offering, and he poured out the liquid offering, and he sprinkled blood, the blood of peace offerings on the altar. Then King Ahaz removed, now he's breaking apart stuff on the temple. So he removed the old bronze altar from its place in front of the Lord's temple, between the entrance and the new altar, and he placed it on the north side of the new altar. He told Uriah the priest, use the new altar for the morning sacrifices, a burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt offering and grain offering, and the burnt offerings of all the people, as well as the grain off their grain offerings and liquid offerings, and sacrifices on the new altar. The bronze altar will be for my personal use only. Uriah the priest did, just as the king Ahaz commanded him. Then the king removed the side panels and basins from the portable water carts. He also removed the great bronze basin called the sea from the backs of the bronze oxen and placed it on the stone pavement. In difference to the king of Assyria, he also removed the canopy that had been constructed inside the palace for use on the Sabbath day, as well as the king's outer entrance to the temple of the Lord. The rest of the events of Ahaz's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. When Ahaz died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Then his son Hezekiah became the next king. As I sat and I was reading this this week and kind of just praying through it, I began to think of the people of Israel, the nation today, and how still today, They are refusing the Messiah. And they haven't learned from their past. And know how we should pray for them. God is moving among them and God is delivering them. And there's Messianic Jews coming with a heart and a passion for the Messiah. But oh my goodness. You look at the history here. You see all that God, what we've read so far, has done for them. And just a few pages in, they've turned from him. Where are you today? God has done so much. Are you in Christ? Or are you like the people of God that we have read about, refusing to turn from your sins, clinging to to the temporalness of this life, to the customs, to the celebrations of this world, and not honoring Christ with your life and allowing Him to be Lord and King. Oh, we've got to do some serious pondering, some self-evaluation. If you're calling yourself a Christian, Are you truly born again to this new creation, you all? I'm telling you, it's liberating. There's so 
so much freedom in this, you all. This world is not our home. It doesn't matter what's going on here. There's nothing to cling to. In fact, creation itself is longing to be restored. Are you longing to be restored? You see, what the hope we have that the creation doesn't is that we have Christ. And we don't have to wait to heaven to experience the fullness and the newness of life when he's come to set us free now so that we can be his image bearers to a world that desperately needs to know the truth. But the world is going to hate truth. Bless you. The world hates truth. And why? Because the world doesn't want to turn from their lies, from that which has enslaved them. Go to Acts chapter 19. But oh, how we should be excited, you all. God is good. Acts 19, verse 13 to the end is where we're reading today. We pick up, Paul is still in Ephesus. A group of Jews was traveling from the town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incarnation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, listen to this, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Remember what I told you all last week? All the occult has is the lesser power. In those communities out there that want to worship all this and that and this and that, they're serving the lesser power. That evil spirit said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? The story of what happened, verse 17 spread quickly all through Ephesus, the Jews, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Oh, how we need that fear to descend upon the church and upon the nations of the earth so that Jesus' name would be greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, Oh, listen to that. They're turning from their sin. Listen to that. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practice. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread quickly and had a powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Acacia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erechus, ahead to Macedonia. 
while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. These people gave up what had kept them bound. They gave up was that which was of great value to this temporal world to gain the ultimate value found in Christ, you all. About that time, verse 23, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. That was the title for the church then. It began, it began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. He has done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire providence. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world will be robbed of her great privilege. All of this angered, I'm sorry, at this, their anger boiled. And they begin shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. You see how the enemy works, you all? God, we see that even on our own days. All these weird riots, all this weird chaotic stuff. Most of those people don't even know why they're there. They're just bound up in confusion. And so we see it played out even here. The whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officers of the providence... Friends of Paul also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He mentioned he motioned for silence and tried to speak, but when the crowd realized he was a Jew... They started shouting again <coughs> and kept this up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of, of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen, craftsmen, craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the, officer, and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. 
And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they dispersed. Oh, God help us. God help us, you all. Listen, the world, the religion, the religious people, they're not going to accept the truth of Christ. They are in rebellion to the throne of God. This is how they act. They resist truth. Remember, we're going even to the end. God's wrath is being poured out. He's making himself known. And there will still be people on this earth who will raise up their fists and say, No, you're not God. Come on. This world is not our home. If we're in Christ, there is work to be done. We are, growing, we are heading quickly into the day, to the day, and days, and days, and days, and days to come. Where I've shared with you already. And that's why we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. Are you equipped for what's to come? If you're calling yourself a Christian, the love of many is growing to grow cold. They're going to give themselves over to every appetite that is available to them. And they're going to hate the truth. Christians are going to be pushed out all across the earth from the world system. And we just want to play church. Come and go as we please. Here today, not here tomorrow. Give one, give throw little coins into the collection. Barely can say a prayer. Don't have the depth of the truth of the Word of God in their lives. And yet they're marching onward as Christian soldiers. But they will be devoured because they got no footing. They've got no claim. And Jesus himself will say, I never knew you. Oh, it's time to wake up. Those people, if you're calling yourself a Christian, your family, your friends, your children, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your neighbors, the other communities that are out there, they should see Christ in you. And if they're not seeing Christ in you, stop calling yourself a Christian. Because you're making a mockery of Christ and you're leading them to hell. And we got to wake up to truth, you all. This isn't some, some kumbaya religion. He's the way, He's the truth, He is the life. He is the one that reconciles us back to God. He's the one that frees us from that old nature and now we are reborn into a new nature that has a desire for holiness, for righteousness, for truth. This is what we're up against. From the beginning, the church was birthed, and it's only going to intensify as the days are coming. And it's not to scare us, ooh, but it is to awaken us. Are you going to stand when your employment forces you to accept the things that are ungodly? Do you understand what's going on out there in the world? How our, the youth are being targeted? Where's the Christian parents? I mean, the Muslim parents are standing up. 
I fault them. They believe what they believe. Where's the Christian parents? Equipping their children to know their God. Family devotion times. Family worship times. Well, they don't want to come worship with me. Then why aren't you worshiping by yourself then? Showing them the discipline in your life of a, of a believer. Not partaking of all the stuff that's out there that everyone's partaking of. Well, then what are they going to think of me? They ought to think something of you. You're a follower of Christ. You don't partake of that any longer. Some of us are turning others over just for us to feel accepted or to be part of. And listen, that's not what Christ has called us to, you all. The Christian life is a life lived for Christ and Christ alone. Go to Psalms 147. Oh, that we would know our God, that we would worship our God. I don't understand. I told God years ago, I lay it all down. I just want to know you. Have you come to that place that you know your God? And are you known by God? Like He didn't have to reveal Himself to me. He doesn't have to reveal Himself to you. But in His loving kindness, He does. And yet we mock it. Yet we have, we say comments or we do whatever. <clears throat> and yet God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. His love, His love will never end. Like, oh, that we would be His people, that we would know our God. That's why I love reading the Psalms, because these men knew their God. They had issues. They were facing some trial, trials, major things going on in their life. But one thing they knew is that God was God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How good to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. The Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem and bringing the exiles back to Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them all by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you said something. Okay, true. But it says here, How great is our Lord, His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. The Lord supports the humble, and He brings the wicked down into the dust. Sing out your thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to our God with a harp. He covers the heavens with clouds, provides rains with the earth for the earth, and makes the grass grow in mountain pet pastures. He gives food to the wild animals and feeds the young ravens when they cry. He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. No, the Lord delights in those who fear Him, those who put their hope in His, in his unfailing love. Glorify the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for He has strengthened the bars of your gates. And blessed your children within your walls. 
He sends peace across your nation and satisfies your hunger with the finest sweet. He sends His orders to the world, how swiftly His word flies. He sends the snow like white wool. He scatters the frost upon the ground like ashes. And He hurls the hail like stones. Who can stand against His freezing cold? Then at His command it all melts. He sends His wind and the ice thaws. He has revealed His words to Jacob, His decrees and regulations to Israel. He has not done this for any other nation. They do not know His regulations. Praise the Lord. For those who do not know God, all of this is nonsense to them. But for those who know God, for those who are in Christ who have been born again, know they ought to praise the Lord. Proverbs 18, verse 4 through 5. Two nuggets of wisdom for you today. Proverbs 18, verse 4 through 5. Wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. It is not right to acquit the guilty or deny justice for the innocent. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. You know how I pray that you are in Christ. We'll close us with this song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer. I could tell. 